Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. We are this morning reminded of the fact that our focus when we come to worship is not ultimately on ourselves, right? And so often that's how we move through our life is just completely focused on ourselves. Uh, And yet when we come to worship and when we come to hear from the scriptures, our focus is on God, right? And so that's my desire is that we move our focus off of ourselves and on to God. And he has a word for us today. And so we want to hear that. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats his bread will live forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, My probably favorite author is C.S. Lewis. And some of you all may be familiar with Lewis. His most famous work is The Chronicles of Narnia. But another book that he wrote that has a lot of uh, fame as well is The Screwtape Letters. Anyone in the room who's read The Screwtape Letters? Okay, a handful of you have read The Screwtape Letters. And so in the book The Screwtape Letters, Lewis has a demon whose name is Screwtape. And Screwtape is writing to his kind of an apprentice named Wormwood. And so there are a series of letters that are written on kind of how to best tempt and ultimately destroy the humans who, you know, these demons are assigned. And so this morning I want to read some quotes from the 21st letter in the Screwtape Letters. The more claims on life that your patient can make can be introduced to make, the more often he will feel injured and as a result, ill-tempered. So hang there just a second. So the more claims that you can make, like that this belongs to you on life, the more you're going to be upset. Why? Because when things go wrong, it's offensive to you, right? This is mine, I deserve this, and therefore, as often as things don't go your way or other people interfere with you, you're ill-tempered. You must therefore zealously guard his mind, the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling, and this is, I love this sentence, that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Anybody ever feel that way? You wake up in the morning and the lie that, you know, Screwtape once 
you to have is I am the lawful possessor of this 24 hours. It belongs to me. The man, this is the truth, the man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. Is that true? It is. It all comes to him by pure gift. He might as well regard the sun and moon as his slaves. Uh, He goes on, the sense of ownership in general is always to be encouraged. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell, and we must keep them doing so. So this idea of, I own this, this is my time, this is my house, this is my money, all of these mine, these possessive ownership expressions that we have, he says, man, those are funny. Uh, And all the time the joke is that the word mine in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. Think about that. Now, if you have children, what happens when they're very young and someone takes a toy away? Mine, right? That just is instinctive. So from the very beginning of life, we have this mentality, this is mine, this belongs to me, and this is called a kingdom, right? This is my kingdom. This, this belongs to my domain. And yet, in truth, our time, our money, all that we have does not truly belong to us. Who does it belong to? God, ultimately. Right? We didn't do anything to get ourselves on this earth, and we constantly live at the mercy of oxygen and all these things around us, other people. So we are completely dependent, and yet we lose sight of that. And, and I think it very much is the lie of the enemy that makes us so ill-tempered and upset. Uh, and so we remember that life comes from God, and yet what we find in the scriptures is that there is a life of God, a life that is unique to God, and that that life at the core is what Jesus came to bring. And I want to walk through John chapter 6 as we consider this life of God. First, we're going to see that the life of God is revealed in Christ. Now, we're going to jump down to one of the later verses to start. Just as Jesus says, just as the living Father, so he, he addresses the Father as the living Father, sent me, and I live because of the Father. So, the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. Now, the idea of God being the source of life, it's zoe in the Greek, is a consistent theme of John's gospel. So, we are meant to see that God is the source of life. He is self-generating, self-perpetuating life. There is no dependence within God. God is simply producing. And there is no lack. There is only abundance. And this God, we find more and more through the scriptures, exists as Father and Son and Spirit. And this, this self-giving, self-generating, sharing life ultimately is sent from heaven. This is what the passage is showing us to earth and that God is sending the God who is life 
is sending his son who has this life in him so that we can receive this life. So this is the imagery, this is the theme that John wants us to see. Now, why does God send his life in his son? Well, the most famous verse in this book tells us, John 3.16, why did God send his son and give us this life? Well, God sent because of his love. That because of God's love, he sent his son into the world so that we would have life in him. And First John tells us that God is love. And so God, who is the source of love and life, has sent his son out of that love so that we could receive both the love and life of God in him. And this is the, the framework that John is laying out consistently, but he picks it up here. Secondly, the life of God is received from Christ. Now, John chapter 6 has been a pretty long, drawn-out chapter, but it all happens in the context of the Passover. And it is the Passover connection that ties Jesus as the one who comes and he brings the people out into the wilderness just as happened with the Passover, and then he goes up on the mountain like Moses. And what is it that he gives the people earlier in John chapter 6? He gives them what? Food. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes. And that was outstanding. And so these people keep chasing Jesus down. And there's kind of this repetition of this theme. What do the people want from Jesus? More food, right? They're like, that was a neat trick. Can we do it again? And this is this, this repetitive conversation where Jesus keeps telling them, you don't need more food, right? That was just, there was a point that you were meant to see in that, that, that clearly you're not seeing. And so Finally, with this back and forth, we see Jesus in verse 53. He's kind of said the same thing a few times, but he says, Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Now, I want to focus on that final part of the verse. You do not have life in yourselves. What is another way of saying you do not have life in yourselves? You're dead, right? Right on. So, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you are completely misunderstanding your condition. You think that you need what? Bread to eat. That's what you think. But he said, realistically, you need life, right? That, that you, have, you don't have life in yourself. And, and this is where they have completely missed their need. And, and to be honest, I do the same thing. They think that their need is, is this physical, it's like this first tier level. They want food. They, at another place, want him to become what? King. So that they can have this physical relief from this oppressive Roman government. So they see their need as being things like bread and things like physical, political relief. And because of that, they want Jesus to kind of dance to their, the beat that they lay out. They want Jesus to provide them 
with what they see as their needs. And this is where we see that, that there is a problem when we misunderstand our need. When we forget that our core needs spiritually, and this is what the scriptures tell us, is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no life within us. And so that is our greatest need. And this is where their expectations, right? They're thinking that they simply needed bread. They simply needed snacks, uh, right? All of this really put them in a place of frustration with what Jesus was giving them, what Jesus was saying to them. And so to jump back to this earlier part in verse 41, where this conversation is unfolding, therefore the Jews started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So what are they doing? They're grumbling. Now, if the Passover and the Israelites in the wilderness is the context for all of this historically, what does this bring to mind if you're familiar with that portion of the scriptures? What did the Israelites do in the wilderness? They grumbled, right? Anyone acknowledge I'm, I grumble <laughs> from time to time? Right, I do. And there is a grumbling, right, that, that is taking place. And it's meant, what John wants us to do is to think about this Old Testament context of grumbling. Why did they grumble in the wilderness? Why did the Israelites grumble? At the core, because they didn't trust God to provide for them. They didn't trust that God would be their shepherd, that he would meet all of their needs. They wanted him to work according to the ways they wanted things to work. And this is exactly what's happening again, is that these Jewish people are not ultimately trusting Jesus as their shepherd. They're not trusting him to provide their ultimate needs. They want him to work according to their categories, right? And to provide things on their terms. But he is saying, basically, you're missing the point entirely. You're not seeing who I am and what I came to bring. I came from where? From heaven, right? And there's no other person. This is, John keeps showing us. Nobody else is from heaven. This is something unique from Jesus. And I have come down as, I'm not gonna give you these little physical bread pieces. I have come down to give you life, right? I am me, myself. I'm what you need, right? I'm the source of, of real eternal life. And, and this is where we see that that ultimately any physical thing that we can take into our body will not meet our ultimate need. Do we see this? There is no physical thing, no food, no substance, right? Coffee even. <laughs> Although we love coffee, we're thankful for it that we can take into our bodies that will provide our ultimate need. It is nutrition. There is nutrition that we receive from these things, but that's it. And he's saying, it's not ultimately going to provide for your needs. This bread that I came down from heaven, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they what? They died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So what happens 
to the Israelites, even though they get the manna, even though they basically get what these people want Jesus to give them, which is more and more bread. Ultimately, eventually, what happens? They died, right? And that's the, that's the problem with anything. Again, it, it doesn't, it, it will provide us nutrition for a time, but eventually we die, right? Eventually it doesn't meet our ultimate need. And what is our ultimate need? Well, what John keeps telling us, our need is for eternal life, right? Not just nourishment, not just more days, not just more years, but we need a kind of life that is fundamentally different. A kind of life that is eternal, the life of God, right, that goes beyond the grave, that leads to this ultimate resurrection and goes on forever with God. And this is what Jesus has come down to bring. Now, how do we receive this life? How do we receive this eternal life that Jesus has come to provide? Well, he says in verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. So when we believe in Jesus, we put our trust in him, we, we receive the life. There's a way in which we, we, we trust, right, at the core that Jesus is who he said he was. We trust that he really is the sinless son of God who came down from heaven, took on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, in our place, died on the cross to pay for all of our sins, all of our failures, then rose from the dead on the third day, conquering the power of sin and death and offers us forgiveness of all of our sins and this eternal life by simply coming to him, trusting in him. And this is the first step. And maybe some of you are here today and you've never truly done that. You've never truly trusted in Jesus as your savior and your king. And we would invite you to do that, to believe in Jesus even today. I'll be at the prayer room uh, after this service as we respond. And I would love to talk with you about that or pray with you about that. But that is where we, we begin. We receive this eternal life through believing in Jesus. But there is this expression of belief that is always seen in action. And this is what I want us to see. How do I know what you, there are all kinds of things that people say they believe, right? There are all kinds of things that people would say they believe. How do I know what you actually believe? What you do, (laughs) right? That's actually what tells me what you really believe. What you trust in, what you believe will be seen in your actions. It will be seen in what you do. And This is true in the scriptures. This is true in what John is saying. He's saying there is an expression of this belief, this internal trust in Jesus that is seen in action. And so in verse 54, he says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true food. Drink. It's the same language as what he used earlier of the one who believes in me will receive this eternal life. But now what does he say? The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will receive this eternal life. And, and I think what we are meant to see here is twofold. 
And there's a whole lot that's been written. And Pastor John uh, did an excellent job two weeks ago preaching on this and on the Lord's Supper and how we see this connection. I think that to miss the connections with the Lord's Supper and the language that Jesus uses in installing the Lord's Supper in the other Gospels just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know why else there would be this idea of eating the flesh and drinking the blood that's, that's so specifically descriptive that, that, would, that would not, I don't know what else it would be referring to at some level. And we need to remember that John's gospel was the last gospel written, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke were all written and being dispersed. John's gospel was written at the very end, the very last one. And so people would already be, the, the church had been formed and people would be doing what? Celebrating the Lord's Supper. That would already be taking place. And so when John writes this gospel, people would know this language and would recognize it and I believe would, would clearly make that connection. Now, I think it's important that this is not simply about the Lord's Supper. This is not simply about eating the bread and drinking the juice or the wine. It is ultimately about what lays behind that. Because Jesus, when he talks about the bread and he talks about the juice, he is pointing towards what? The cross, right? That's ultimately what all of this is leading to. And I think that's the connection that we're meant to make. Ultimately, we are trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. That we were dead in our sins. There is no way. You could not cleanse yourself of your sins. right? You cannot get rid of the sin And that sin separates you from who? From God, right? Who is the source of life. And and this is something that the Old Testament shows, there we go, is there is a, a consistent connection between sin and death. And sin, in some way, is like a miniature death. And so when you sinned and you were an Israelite, right, you became what? Unclean, impure, and you had to go where? Outside of the camp, there was a separation that you experienced. And this is what we're meant to see, that there is this, this form of death that we experience, and there is a, a separation that takes place. And so we had to be purified, right? We have to be purified and cleansed of that sin. Now, in the Old Testament, how did that happen? Through a sacrifice. And Jesus ultimately has come to offer himself as the perfect, Hebrews lays this out, the perfect once for all sacrifice that cleanses us and purifies us from all of our sin, that removes all of the death and gives us in its place what? Life, right? And, and, and this, is, this is what lies behind all of this. But I believe there is this internal trust that is always expressed actively in one way or another. And, and Pastor John, two weeks ago, he used the language, I think this is really helpful, to point to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, the core fall took place when Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and they stopped trusting in who? God. That was the core issue. Inside... They trusted the serpent 
And they stopped trusting in God, just like the Israelites in the wilderness. And that internal trust moving away from God, that was the problem. But how did we see the expression of the, that they trusted what the serpent said about this fruit rather than what God said about it? They, they ate the fruit. So there was an internal trust that was revealed through an external action of eating. And through that, what came into the world? Sin and death, right? And so, as Pastor John said, through eating, death entered the world. Now, the core problem was the trust. And yet it was this expression of that in an action that led to death. Now, through Jesus, the one who comes, and he is on another tree, the tree that would have been seen as a tree of death because anyone hung on a tree is cursed, and yet it becomes the tree of life. And he offers his body and he offers his blood to be consumed, to be eaten and drank. And and through that, we receive life. So through eating, death enters the world. Now through eating in this other way, this trust in Jesus that, that is expressed And I believe the first expression, by the way, of this is baptism. What you are doing when you are baptized is you are acknowledging you are hopeless and helpless on your own. That you, in and of yourself, there is no way that you can earn your own forgiveness. There's no way that you can work yourself up to God. And so you are surrendering yourself completely to Jesus, right? Your whole body, every part of you are trusting and throwing yourself completely at the mercy of God in Christ. And that is an active expression of this trust, this complete dependence on Jesus, this completely surrendered to him. And, and so that is this first, I think, active expression of that internal trust. But I think that the Lord's Supper provides us with an ongoing, continual expression of that same trust. Does that make sense? I am continually acknowledging, just like I did when I went into the waters of baptism, I can't do this on my own. I am not enough. I'll never be enough. Right? I am completely dependent on Jesus. And so I am once again acknowledging it's not the myth of mine, right? (laughs) I don't have it. I can't do it. I come to you, Jesus. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I I am once again acknowledging the sin that I've done since the last time. I can't undo, right? Unless any of you guys have got that kicked. Has anybody got the sin thing kicked completely? Love to see that, right? But there's this acknowledgement. I, I, I continue to need you, Jesus. I continue to need forgiveness. And more than that, I continue to need life through your spirit. And so there is an expression of this dependence that is continually uh, repeated at some way through this act. And so I think we are meant to see that connection. I, I, hope, I hope we see it's not simply the act because that's a problem. If it's just us doing this action, that's a problem because that's still somehow depending on who? Me, and I'm the one who got myself into this mess. So it's not simply me doing something, but it is this trust that has to continually, and this dependence that has to continually be placed on Christ, right? That's that's what's important. That's what is expressed here. And that's what we're gonna do in just a moment when we take the supper. But I want us to see third and finally that that the life of God is not only received from Christ, but it's released for Christ. And this 
could take about an hour, but I'm going to try to not spend quite that long. But Jesus says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And there's another way that that word can be translated. It is later. And what is that word? Does anybody know? Abides, right? And so it's connected with a vine. I don't know if anybody of you all have vegetables or fruit that you're growing right now. Uh, but, the, but with the grapes, there's a vine. And that vine provides nourishment for the branch on which these grapes grow. And so you get the little branch when it's in the little baggie, right? That's as close as I get. It's open, the little bitty branches in there. But there's dependence that's there. There's need. There's constant receiving that happens. And that's this idea, right? That, and, and Jesus is, is saying that we are receiving life from him. How? Is he physically here, like feeding us? And through, no, but it's through his what? Through his spirit, right? And that's what he says. It's better that I leave because now the spirit is going to come. And he's going to bring all that belongs to me and give it to you. And so the spirit that's within us is, is giving us, right? What, what belongs to Christ is now ours through him. And so there is a relationship through the spirit that lives within us after we trust in Jesus that is continually providing us with what we need. Verse 57, the next verse, he says, just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Just as he receives this life from the father and he also describes as I am in the father and the father's me. Now you are in me and I am in you. So there's this provision of life, this, this relationship of being in Christ. And so here's what that means. Anywhere you go, guess who's with you? Jesus. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing that will separate you from me and my love. Right? Is that good news? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Right? And there is this promise that we find in the scriptures that we have everything that we need in Christ. There's this provision of everything we need in him. And that is meant to not simply make us feel good. And I think this is important to see. That is not simply meant to just, just make us feel good, although it, although it does. Ultimately, the point of that is that we would continue to express this love and this life to others. That just as Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, brings us into the life and the love of God. You see this? The love between the Father and the Son through the Spirit. Jesus brings us into that love, right? That never-ending, never-stopping love. And now that love that's in us is meant to go through us. What's the word? Uh, maybe some of you guys are plumbers. There's like, there's a word for like a pipe that, oh man. Sleeve, maybe. Conduit, thank you, thank you. A conduit, right? That that's the idea, that now it's in us, but we're to be a conduit, you're the man, Jeff, of that love to what? To people around us. And that's, that's what's meant to drive us, that we are joining Christ on his mission, that the spirit is always Moving, It's always expressing life. It's always giving love. David Bosch writes in his book, Transforming Mission, to participate in mission is to participate in the movement 
of God's love towards people. Since God is a fountain of sending love. You see that God, out of his overwhelming love, sent his son for us so that we could be brought into this love and life. And he is now continuing to send us. And we're going to see Jesus say this. Just as, just as I was sent, right? You are too. There's this, this sending that God is constantly doing. That, that, this, this fountain of love, right? Never stops. And it's meant to, to lead us out, right? To lead us to express. And so for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of it. Right now, you'll get more uh, tomorrow, but we're moving into this summer of impact. And we're going to have 21 days beginning next Sunday. And we're going to provide you with content every day, but we're also going to provide service projects and opportunities uh, to serve in our community. And there's going to be opportunities uh, all through that 21 days. And so, again, you'll be hearing more about that. But that's why do we do those things? To feel better about ourselves? No, right? But to express this fountain of love, this love and the life that God has given to us through Christ to the people around us, to the community around us. And this is where we are reminded that the myth of mine is a myth. The, the, the lie of screw tape that you are the rightful possessor of these 24 hours, that, that your time is yours, that your body is yours, that all these things, your money, all, all of these things are yours. Right? That's a myth. It's not true. And this is what we find in Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's the one who's ultimately sent his son to die for you. He's the one who provides you with life each and every day. And so now, use your life, use your body, use your time to serve him and express his love to the people around you. In order to do that, we first have to receive that life and the love from God. And maybe you're here and you've never truly trusted in Jesus. If that's the case, again, I'd invite you to do that, to believe in him. And in just a moment, after we take the supper, I'll be in the prayer room. Uh, uh, Denise will be in the prayer room. We'd love to talk with you about that. To believe in Jesus, to receive this eternal life from him. But for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we are reminded that he, while he's always with us, in a unique way, serves us in the supper. That this is, while I'm on this stage and I'm saying these words and kind of leading through this action, that Jesus himself is actually the one who is inviting you to his table. You see that? He's inviting you to his table. And he is serving you. And he is saying to you, this is my body that was broken for you. This is my blood that was poured out for you. This is ultimately my love, right? That I love you. And that I'm providing everything that you need. No matter what you've done, you can receive forgiveness for that. 
But even more than that, you can receive this abundant life through the Spirit. As we prepared to do this, if you did not receive the elements or didn't get them on your way, would you just raise your hands? Our deacons are coming around. We've got a few up here in the front. I just want to take a moment just to prepare our hearts for the supper. And so, again, keep your hands up. They'll keep bringing those by. But just invite you just to take a moment in prayer and just preparing your hearts, searching your hearts. If there's sin, if there's things that, that come up that you need to confess to the Lord, I invite you to do that just in this moment as we prepare. move into a time of taking supper so you can prepare these elements. I want to just remind us that what we're doing, we move into this act, is expressing our internal trust. But first and foremost, we're confessing our complete dependence on Jesus. Make sense? We can't. We can't undo what we've done. We can't somehow make up for it by doing more, better. We are completely dependent on Jesus. We are hopeless and helpless on our own. We come to receive all that Jesus has provided for us through his death on the cross. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you. For as often as you eat this bread and 
and drink the cup, you can proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we want to do, to proclaim the truth, right? We talked earlier about not feeling or seeing. But what happens is when we confess the truth, when we say the truth, right, it reminds us of this and it wells up with joy in response to that. And so I want to invite us just to stand together and we're going to make a confession of this truth. I would invite you to join me in reciting this out loud. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.